Welcome to the Ortho Eval Pal Podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now, for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello, and welcome to episode 51 of the Ortho Eval Pal Podcast. I am your host, Paul Marquis, and today we are going to be talking about how to treat nerve root compression problems. Now, we just had our, our one week superset of nerve root compression and talked about the individual segments. We talked in the previous episode about some of the causes. Now we're going to talk about how to treat and take care of some of these uh, nerve root compression slash irritation type problems. Um, so, the first thing we're going to talk about is herniated discs. Now, there are many people who have different opinions on how to treat these. Uh, I've seen just about every single treatment that could ever be done for a herniated disc. And um, I'll tell you what has worked for me from experience. And, um, you know, we can we can kind of go from there. There are many different paths you can take when somebody herniates a disc. So I'm going to try to break this down a little bit. So when somebody has an acute herniated disc, you know, we talked about inflammation being a real big problem here. So treating that inflammation, maybe decreasing uh, the inflammation with a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory or a steroid, if that is appropriate for the patient and it doesn't uh, coincide with any other medical issue that they have, that can be very, very important, okay? so But make sure that before you get started, you look at their sensation, deep tendon reflexes, straight leg raise, um, and their pain pattern. But more importantly, you look for muscle strength, okay? So make sure you do myotomal testing on these people because if they do have significant weakness because of nerve root compression, you need to be concerned about this because I have seen people, many people, who let this go maybe a little too long and end up with some permanent nerve damage, loss of function in their legs, um, foot drop, and all kinds of issues that turn into other problems down the road, like trip hazards and things like that because they don't have good dorsiflexion um, and their leg giving way if they're going downstairs or going down a decline, it just suddenly gives out. So make sure that you do manual muscle testing on these people. When you see muscle weakness, that's the bigger red flag. Okay. Now they may have other combinations of things here. Um, and we're not going to talk about bowel and bladder issues and, and things like that in this episode, but we will in, in future episodes when we talk about myelopathy and, and significant nerve uh, damage. Um, but muscle weakness is the big thing we're looking for here. So you can treat these things with the anti-inflammatories early on, you know, like most people within two weeks will resolve their back pain problems. Um, so sometimes giving them a little bit of time modifying their activities so they're not continuing to agitate or if it's a herniated disc usually it's caused by some sort of a flexion mechanism so continuing to lift heavy objects in a forward bent position with the knees fully extended is really not a good thing or sitting in a car or a truck for a long period of time puts them in that flexed posture that can actually aggravate things um, with a herniated disc you know, I, I like to teach these people early transverse abdominus activation exercises and try to get them into a pelvic neutral position. I don't like to do a lot of bed rest. I mean, it used to be that bed rest was the treatment for back pain. But what we're finding is that the muscle shutdown and the muscle weakness that's associated with this is more devastating to the patient down the road than if you get them up and active. So I really tell people, do things in moderation. Do a little bit of walking. Do a little bit of sitting. Do a little bit of lying down. And and modify that and change that often. But I'm a big advocate of patients walking um, to keep mobile and, and, and to keep their transverse and multifidus muscles somewhat active. 
decompressing the nerve root can be helpful. You can do that sometimes with traction. Um, and, you know, even getting in a pool and, and doing exercise in a pool helps to decompress you a little bit because you don't have that, uh, you have that buoyancy that helps take pressure off of your spine. Some people like to use a McKenzie exercise technique, um, I, which I like to do on occasion. doesn't work for everybody. If the disc is, is herniated and very, very large, these people will not respond to McKenzie techniques, which is a, an extension uh, biased uh, protocol. So, you know, some of these people will do well with McKenzie, but you got to kind of go at it easily and, and go patient by patient when doing this. You can't just do a standard program for everybody with a herniated disc. Um you know, and then you want to progressively return these people to work and progressively return them to activity. Oftentimes, these people will do well. And as your last resort, I mean, you could use all kinds of modalities, help decrease pain, decrease spasm, and all those types of things. But ultimately, you want to get them stronger. You want to be able to have them fight gravity better. And you want them to be activating these spinal stabilizers uh, really well. And so that's important. But you may get that patient who has a loss of reflex, loss of sensation, loss of strength, uh, intractable pain. Uh, Some of these folks just need to have surgery. And uh, we'll be uh, interviewing a neurosurgeon probably uh, in the uh, the next episode. And we'll be be talking about, you know, when when is this appropriate and not appropriate. Um, Um, But uh, not everybody with a herniated disc needs to have surgery. And I've even seen people with huge herniated discs that don't need to have surgery. If that nucleus pulposus is soft and gets reabsorbed really well, um, those patients might do well. You know, and some of these people have huge herniated discs, but not a lot of weakness. We don't typically worry about those as much, but we still take care of them and treat them. Um, So we talked about facet arthritis as being a cause of uh, nerve root compression and irritation. Number one, you want to be avoiding extension exercises of the lumbar spine, you know, or think about, look at, look at these patients and take a look at their, um, their lumbar lordosis. Is it accentuated or are they in an anterior pelvic tilted position? Um, if so, that causes irritation to those facets and those facets get all inflamed, causes nerve root irritation and causes pain right from the facet joint itself. Um, so you want to get these folks into hip flexor stretching exercises, strengthen the abdominals, strengthen up the glutes a little bit to get them into more of a posterior pelvic tilted or maybe more of a spinal neutral position. Um, that's very important. I, I use what I call a anti-spinal stenosis program, which I typically use myself. And um, if anybody's interested, make sure that you get to uh, my get in touch page at orthoevalpal.com and ask for this. And I can probably uh, send you my PowerPoint on my anti-spinal stenosis program, which I, I use a lot for these spinal stenosis patients. Or I also use them for facet arthritis patients because they both get affected by too much extension of the lumbar spine. Um, if the pain is ongoing and they just don't get better with anti-inflammatories, uh, uh, non-steroidals, medication, uh, soft tissue modalities, core stabilization, and all that stuff that I just talked about, some of these folks will do really well with interventional pain injections. Um, and um, I'm not going to get into the details of interventional pain because I'm going to be um, doing a, an interview with somebody about that regarding lumbar spine. So uh, we'll let him answer all these questions and um, we'll get into a little more detail about that. But I've seen people do really well with interventional injections for facet uh, dysfunction. Now, I know some of you use heat and ice. Um, You know, when is heat and ice appropriate? Well, the first thing we need to know is that you know, heat and ice do not penetrate very far. Remember in episode 40... 
five, I believe, we talked about the depth of the tissue. Okay, so that herniated disc is really, really deep. So you can put heat on somebody's low back. That heat will not penetrate. That only penetrates, you know, just below the skin and into some of the fat. It doesn't even get to the muscle unless you're really, really skinny. Um, and so maybe two centimeters deep is as far as heat or ice will penetrate. But what we're looking for here is whenever somebody has back pain, they will get a lot of uh, they will get a lot of um, spasm of the lumbar spine. Especially facet problems will cause a lot of localized spasm. So decreasing that spasm just because um, it is important to help decrease their pain and also increase their mobility because ultimately you want them to have good mobility and good function. And so uh, using heat or ice, if either of those help to decrease spasm and they're comfortable with that, that's great. Ice is a um, is a, a pain reliever, okay, decreases nerve conduction velocity. That's really all it does. It does not get rid of inflammation, does not get rid of swelling. And when people are told that, um, that's misleading because that disc and that nerve root is so far down, that facet is so deep, there's no way the heat or the ice actually get there. So, but if you use those modalities or any modality to decrease spasm, I'm in favor of doing it. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to be talking about how to decrease chemical irritation and um, how to deal with disc height problems which we talked about in episode uh, 45, and uh, also uh, the viral issue with uh, nerve root uh, irritation problems. But what I'd like to do is just take a moment to hear a word from our sponsor, and uh, we'll be back in just a bit. Did you know that over 90% of foot and ankle problems are caused by a tight calf muscle? Introducing the Easy Slant, a durable, adjustable, and portable calf stretching device. The Easy Slant was designed to increase stretching compliance and get you back on your feet and feeling better, faster. So if you work with patients seeking to ease or avoid foot pain or clients who want to improve their athletic performance, look no further. Visit easyslant.com to learn more or order yours today. Enter coupon code OEP for a 10% discount on your first Easy Slant. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 51 of uh, the Ortho Valpal podcast. We're talking about how to treat nerve root compression problems. And we just talked about herniated discs and facet um, issues. Let's talk a little bit about uh, chemical irritants. Okay, now we talked about this in episode uh, 45. And... Um, you know, chemical irritation is something that is very, very real, okay? So inflammation and swelling around a nerve root can be very painful, um, can mimic, uh, it can give you ridiculous symptoms, um, it can give you a lot of spasm in the lumbar spine, and uh, this can happen from annular tears in the disc, it can happen from, uh, you know, a newly herniated uh, disc, and can also happen uh, when you get a nerve stretch type problem, and, and, and even a facet that's inflamed and irritated can can cause a lot of swelling around the uh, nerve root. So, you know, taking things like nonsteroidals uh, and uh, even a steroid, um, which I find is very helpful with patients as long as they don't have any contraindications to taking that, um, can really get them settled down a little bit, especially in an acute episode of uh, low back pain. And then relative rest, and by relative rest, I mean, you know, activity modification. It doesn't mean bed rest. I mean, I don't bed rest anybody with acute pain for any more than maybe half a day. And I make sure they get up and they walk around, they sit, they stand, they change their activity, but they don't do anything that's going to aggravate that area. So if uh, if, if extension is an, an irritant, we avoid extension. If flexion is an irritant, we avoid that also. Um, but we just try to normalize movement of the 
lumbar spine with a little bit of rocking. Um, even things like you know stationary cycling can be helpful just by getting a little bit of uh, rhythmic uh, rocking there. And any of you. Um, out there who work with neurological patients, you know that rhythmic rocking can help decrease spasm and decrease tone and uh, really get people a little more comfortable. So, um, you know, I, I usually try to get them into a pelvic neutral position. Also, interventional pain uh, injections can help decrease these chemical irritations um, and, and, and they can have very good success with that. Now, we also talked about um, disc height and a decrease in disc height or degenerative disc disease as being a cause of basically the house falling down on the on the foundation and and starting to cause more a lateral uh, frame and narrowing around that uh, nerve root. So, you know, decompression by traction or even like uh, low load, long duration, light flexion over a stability ball or even something like a total back machine, something that gives a little bit of a traction effect can be helpful. You know, being in a pool and uh, putting your arms on the side and just letting your legs hang can be helpful. Um, some people like to use inversion tables that can help, but the problem with that is it's always very temporary. Okay. So, uh, I'm a huge advocate of, uh, you know, trying to get them active and strong as much as possible to stabilize their spine, but you cannot really build that height back there unless you do surgery. Okay. And, uh, surgery, basically they separate the, the vertebrae, they put a spacer in there and, um, you know, basically like a cinder block between the foundation and the house, you get it lift it up. It now opens up the um, the foramen, the lateral foramen where the nerve root comes out and uh, people uh, become uh, much more comfortable and uh, they uh, they do well. And oftentimes they'll uh, have a fusion after that to help keep that space nice and open. And then the last uh, reason why somebody would have some nerve root irritation would be some sort of a viral problem, okay, like a herpes zoster or shingles uh, in that area that attacks that nerve root and can give you severe weakness, pain, um, and and again, uh, that is very important to identify. It doesn't happen very often. But when you suspect that and you see a rash in the area also, getting people on an antiviral right away can be uh, very helpful. And a slow progression back into a strengthening program can help those patients. Oftentimes, you'll even need to help brace them, um, like a dorsiflexion assist brace or maybe even a brace that helps to immobilize the knee. If L3 is affected, they'll have severe quad weakness. So those are some uh, tips and tricks to treating uh, nerve root compression problems in the lumbar spine and nerve root irritation. They're not always mechanical. Sometimes they're chemical irritants. So um, I hope you enjoyed this uh, episode and uh, please stay tuned for uh, future episodes. We're going to be having some great interviews coming up and uh, don't forget to go to the show notes to pick up some of the links to our YouTube channel and um, also on to um, our Get in Touch page so uh, we can put you on our list and uh, have you notified as soon as the podcast comes out. Again, thank you very much. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For some more awesome content, go to orthopedalpal.com. Can't wait to see you there.